Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and welcome to a very special edition of Comfort's Corner. Today, we bring you three interviews with folks involved with the top 40 under 40 Mass Transit Magazine Awards for this year. This program recognizes uh, individuals under the age of 40 who have been very impactful in their role in public transportation. We kick it off with an interview with Misha Wanek Libman, the editor of Mass Transit Magazine, who tells us about the program itself. And then today we have Marco D'Angelo, who is the CEO of CUDA, the Canadian Urban Transit Association, and Ivan Rodriguez, who works in Jacksonville Transit Authority, um, who's one of their top government affairs people. And he talks about uh, his background and some of the roles he's done. And Marco also tells us about some of the things happening in Canada. And these are some of the top leaders in our industry. Two weeks from now, we'll bring you another episode, which will include interviews with Alice Grossman, Jerome Horn, and Tyler Means, three other winners from the Top 40 Under 40 program. We also today bring you our normal input from Alea Carey on uh, Messaging Minute. I think you'll really enjoy that and the rest of our program. This is a very special edition of Comfort's Corner. I know you're going to enjoy it. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of Comfort's Quarter. And today we're taking a special look at the Top 40 Under 40, which is a really prestigious award in our public transit industry, started by Mass Transit Magazine. And so I'm thrilled to have with us as our first guest on today's program, Misha Wanek-Libin, who is the executive editor of Mass Transit Magazine, one of our industry's uh, leading uh, publications. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate yeah. the opportunity. Yeah, so uh, Misha and I, you know, have been friends for a while since she got this job, and uh, you've actually been in the publishing industry a long time, right? I mean, like 20 years or so, you were with the editor of a rail magazine before this? I was, I was. I was uh, started my career in 2001, uh, which doesn't sound that long ago to me, but it's ancient <laughs> by some, yeah. some standards. Uh, so I, I spent uh, a little over a decade with a civil engineering publication. Uh, we did do deal with um, rail transit projects and uh, had a friend who moved over to mass transit uh, and former colleague publisher, Emily Gwill, uh, oh, yeah. who many of your listeners know. Uh, and when the opportunity to uh, fill in as executive editor at the magazine came up, she gave me a call and said, would you be interested in coming over? And I, I said, of course. And, you know, the rest is history. And I don't have any plans on, on leaving anytime soon. It's a great, great industry to be in. Yeah. And I mean, from my perspective, having done this for over 30 years, you're doing a wonderful job at Mass Transit Magazine. I love getting every issue and I don't just wait for the issues. I actually you know, multiple times a week, you know, not only in your, you send that, what do you send? What did you call like a news digest or something? Yeah. Our daily newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I love getting that. And then I look at your website a lot. I actually use it for this program, as I was telling you beforehand, as a source of uh, really up-to-date news. I, you know, I have a lot of sources where I get news, but yours is definitely one of the best. So thank you for putting out a great product for our industry. Oh, we appreciate hearing that. Thank you. It's a team effort. It's not just all me. It takes uh, everybody on our team to produce uh, what we do and, and glad that it is helpful. Before we get into the top 40 under 40 specifically, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know, the whole industry, magazine industry, online stuff versus paper magazines, and especially going into COVID, I think it's accelerated some of the change that was happening in the industry, moving to more of an online presence. Talk to us about what's happening with Mass Transit Magazine and your view, if you want to, on the industry as a whole with that kind of uh, shift taking place. Yeah, so it it depends, but I guess I'll, I'll speak to the um, 
business to business publications, um, folks like, you know, Mass Transit Magazine, the, the, the publications that focus on um, business and, and trades, um, everything is moving more digital. That doesn't mean that print is going away anytime soon, because I think there's still uh, a need for print. Um, but everything is becoming more digital, uh, especially in the situation uh, like we find ourselves this year with COVID. Um, things are happening quickly and uh, we are on a, a 24 seven news cycle. So um, what early in my career where it was, you know, eight to five or eight to six, and then I could unplug and be gone. I've always got my phone on me. I've always got, uh, I'm always connected and, and you have to be because if you see some news come through, um, I may know about it and I may think it's really interesting, but there has to be a way to to share that and uh, we have that platform to do it so uh digital will will become more important will continue to be important but but there's still a a place for print um where you can really get into the nitty-gritty and and i'm kind of a design nerd i and we've got a really really great um creative director on the magazine who uh helps our stories come to life with uh, illustrations and infographics and, and layout. And I think that that only enhances the storytelling that we're doing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, as part of my podcast, Transit Unplugged, I've toured a lot of operations, transit operations around North America. And almost everyone I'm in has copies, the paper copies of Mass Transit Magazine sitting in the lobby or sitting in the, uh, you know, the front area of the CEO or the executive's uh, office. So, I mean, I agree with you. And I'm so happy that you plan to stick with paper because, you know, that kind of thing gets passed around a lot. It's in the dispatch office of, uh, of transit systems, uh, drivers, mechanics, dispatchers are looking at it. And, you know, a few copies can, can serve 100 people uh, as they look at it. It sits around for the full month that you're there. So I'm glad you're, you're thinking about, you know, you want to stay with paper, too. That's, that's good news. Um, what is the impact, let's say, of your magazine, like your circulation or the reach of the digital slash? Do you know? Are you able to measure that effectively? We, yes. So we, I forget what our official numbers are, but we're, um, I'd have to look at our, to confirm with our our yeah. um we are aud audited right? yeah it's it's yeah. Uh, upwards of 20 to twenty four thousand. uh once you factor in pass along rates and and things of that nature i will tell you with uh covid happening our website traffic has been through the through the roof we're um oh, yeah. you know we've seen 50 percent increases of page views and users and and um, folks who are coming back to our website every day. Um, so that's, that's good, but then it also puts added pressure on us as, as communicators to make sure that we are um, providing the information that the industry needs. That's great. So let's switch over now and talk about the program Top 40 Under 40. Uh, this has always been, you know, as I've been in the industry, this has always been a, a, a celebrated thing in transit agencies. I've worked at a number of places where, you know, someone won the award and, you know, they'll put it up on, you know, glass and put it up on the wall. And it's, it's a really big deal for people. And it's a great career boost uh, for younger professionals who are in the industry. So tell us a little about the program and your role in it. All right. So we, uh, the program started in 2008. Um, so 2020 marks the, the 12th year that we've had the program. Uh, and if you think back to 2008, um, a lot of the dialogue happening was surrounding um, 
the knowledge cliff and what happens when these uh, professionals with years and decades of hands-on real-world experience uh, retire and and you know how do we deal with that gap uh, that we're we're left with so 40 under 40 uh, was designed as a way to really showcase those superstars in the industry uh, the folks whose impacts were felt at a system level on a regional level um, on an industry level and who are evaluation committees throughout the years uh, expected to continue to have an impact on the industry and um, just some of our, our high level folks, I think we've got a pretty good track record. If you go back to the early days, we've had um, uh, Eddie Robar, friend of the show. Uh, he was a, a former honoree or past honoree, I should say. Um, Catherine Kellerman, uh, Catherine Egan Kellerman, uh, CEO over right. at, yeah, Port Authority, Allegheny County. And, and even more recently, folks like Kevin Quinn, uh, of course, at MTA and uh, Sean Donaghy. I remember yeah. when- <laughs> the picture just popped up in my Facebook memories the other day of me presenting that to him and I sent it to him. Yeah, so we've got we've got some a pretty good track record with the high level folks. Um, but that said, uh, we try to uh, showcase um, the breadth of knowledge and talents that are in the industry. We yeah. have- um, Public sector, you got private sector people too, right? Yeah, we, I mean, and engineers and communicators and uh, urban planners, uh, researchers. Um, so there's, there's all sorts of avenues that people take um, to have a heavy influence on this industry. And, and this, uh, the 40 under 40 list is a way to, to showcase that. Yeah. And I mean, for people who aren't 100% familiar with what we're talking about, this is 40 individuals who are under age 40. I should have said that up front, who are, who are recognized uh, for their role, as, as Misha said. So um, how, do they get, how does this process work? Walk us a little through how the, because later today, after this interview, I'm going to uh, you know, showcase a bunch of your honorees this year. So tell us what process they went through to be selected. So we start with an online uh, nomination process. Um, And I should say also that 2020, uh, we have a growing list. uh, More and more uh, nominations come in each year we do this. Uh, 2020 was a record year. If we have an average of 100 to 150 every year 2020 we had close to 260 i think so the the process begins with an online nomination um from those we export everything into excel uh we have an evaluation committee that is the entire mass transit team sales editorial um management we go up to our senior vice president level uh within our publishing house um, and we all read all 250 or 260 wow. of those nominations. Um, we evaluate on uh, professional achievement, um, innovation, um, as well as community and industry involvement, um, and compile all those scores together, average them out, and from there we we get our top 40 list. So it's I did write a, an editor's letter over um, this year's class of, of honorees. And because there were so many, um, you would think, oh, there's got to be one or two 
you know, duds that you were like, eh, nice try, maybe next year. But these, we could have included all of them. They were all outstanding. Uh, and it's always difficult year after year to to mark that line between 40 and 41 um, yeah. and, and make that cutoff. So yeah. uh, it's, it, but it, it's also encouraging to see that that level of commitment um, and, and forward thinking in the young people of the industry. Well, that's good. Is there anything else uh, you want to tell us about the program or anything before we get to the interviews? Uh, no, they, you know, we've got a, a great group of folks uh, this year. Um, it, there was a heavy, heavy uh, mentorship um, element to this group's uh, year uh, honorees this year. Um, and that was good to see because you're they're at that weird point in their careers where, okay, they've got some experience, they've got some leadership skills behind them, um, but they might benefit from still being mentored themselves. So uh, they've, it's a good group. I'm, I'm happy to, to highlight and glad you're, you're able to highlight these folks. Yeah. Yeah. It's Jack Benny. It just came to me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, Misha Wanick-Lemon, thank you so much. You do a wonderful job as executive editor of, Uh, Mass Transit Magazine, and this program is a great way to help promote and celebrate younger professionals and uh, see their career. I think you can then, we can then follow them in their career and see the impact they make going forward. Thanks so much for being with us today on this episode. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Alea Carey. I'm a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Last week, I attended an industry seminar on strategic crisis communications during COVID-19. That's right, crisis communications in the midst of a crisis. That's not a bad way to describe the situation many of us are facing right now in public transit. I thought the most important takeaway for public transit agencies was the emphasis on how to step out of reactive mode and expand from communicating about incidents, which are so often out of our control, to communicating about values and underlying issues, whether they're good or bad. Values and issues are two things we can do something about. This might look like if the incident you're communicating about involves a case of COVID-19 among employees, making sure to message what current protocols are in place to keep the community safe, what additional protocols will be added, and what organizational values are behind the actions you're taking. In brief moments between crises, communicating those values through community sponsorships and broad public awareness campaigns will help reinforce them for your audiences, building the foundation for positive relationships and deterring mistrust when an inevitable incident arises again. If you'd like to talk more about communications, crisis, or otherwise, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. This is another great interview on Transit Unplugged with our special episode looking at Mass Transit Magazine's Top 40 Under 40. And today, and at this moment, we're talking to Marco D'Angelo, who's actually been a pretty good friend of mine over the last few years. Uh, And he is one of the inductees in this year's Hall of Fame Top 40 Under 40 at Mass Transit. Congratulations, Marco. Oh, thank thank you very much, Paul. And it it certainly was uh, an honor to be uh, recognized by uh, peers in our industry. Yep, Marco is CEO of the Canadian Urban Transit Association, CUDA, 
and uh, represents kind of like APTA does here in America, uh, all of the transit agencies up in Canada. Uh, so I guess, first off, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, Marco, there at CUDA, and, and tell us about CUDA for those who maybe aren't familiar with it. Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm the, the CEO of our association. Uh, we represent uh, 110 transit systems across the country. Uh, in addition, we have uh, several hundred uh, business members, affiliates, government agencies that really represent uh, the, the broad spectrum of the, uh, the Canadian transit world. That's great. And you guys have uh, a very major online presence. I get a lot of, I mean, you guys are putting out information all the time. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, tell us about what you all do as a group. Sure. Uh, I mean, currently, uh, we're, we're really supporting our systems and our business members in trying to uh, navigate our way through the, uh, the current uh, crisis. Uh, but uh, also, we provide uh, conference services, training, uh, cutting-edge research, collecting data on transit, and also making public policy recommendations and advocating for uh, funding at all levels of government to support uh, transit. I can tell you, uh, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the line, I've said this to many people, the, the last CUDA conference I went to, which actually was the first one I've been to, uh, was probably uh, in the top five conferences I've ever been to in the transit world. It was just a tremendous uh, content. There was fun, you know, evening events that were sponsored by, by CUDA. Uh, you know, that one we did in, the, um, in a museum was just awesome. Uh, and uh, I just, I, I can't wait to go back to the next conference when we can do it in person, you know. Uh, I know that we have to do virtual probably, you know, this year, but uh, it was really a great conference overall, and, and I had a lot of fun there, and um, you do a great job at CUDA. Um, you told me on Friday that, uh, that you were uh, online with a bunch of, tell me, tell us about that. That was pretty fun sounding. Yes, well, I mean, as I, as I was mentioning, I mean, our focus has really been on um, getting bridge financing for Canada's transit system so that they can maintain a high level of service so that we can get essential workers to and from their jobs and also doing it in a way that avoids crowding. So in support of that, uh, my chair and I, my chair is uh, L.A. Mercier, the head of uh, Quebec City Transit. And uh, we, uh, the two of us uh, were interviewed across the country uh, last week on CBC radio stations locally to talk about what local uh, transit, what local transit, if not properly funded, what could happen to our transportation networks in the, in the short and medium term when we've spent so much uh, so many years building capital and doing these projects, it would be just uh, a shame to, uh, to, to impair Canada's transit network uh, at this time where we're waiting for ridership uh, to return post-pandemic. Uh, that's, that's a great message. And my understanding is that you've had a little bit of success there. Uh, tell us the current status of what's happening in Canada as of September. Yeah, as of September, I mean, we were really happy uh, that uh, the pro our provinces and the federal government negotiated a safe restart agreement. So that, that provides funds to municipalities to help them uh, meet their operating um, needs for the rest of the 2020 calendar year and a little bit into next year. So that's been helpful uh, for systems to maintain service. But 
it, you know, as, as you know, ridership returning to what it was in February of 2020, I think will be an exercise that uh, will take at least a year to get back to that level. And in the meantime, we're really calling on our federal government, just as uh, I read every day, uh, APTA is working with, uh, with the U.S. government uh, to make sure that transit systems are able to, uh, to operate in a way that uh, we can provide safe, uh, reliable, and uh, and good customer service that exceeds all health standards uh, until the pandemic's over. That's great. Yeah, it's when I was uh, at MTA in Baltimore, CEO, I developed what I call the four cornerstones of a great transit system, and you just basically named them, which is safe, efficient, reliable, with world class customer service. And I still think those are the cornerstones, as you just mentioned, of getting people back on transit now that the pandemic has uh, pushed people off of transit due to the lockdowns and shutdowns we had to have now now that they're starting to loosen up we need people to come back why don't we just talk one more minute before we kind of get into another uh, line of questions i want to ask you kind of about careers and things like that but um what do you think the future of transit is i mean there's been a, a number of articles in major publications in the u.s talking about a death spiral and how that if we you know don't get the money maybe what you said on friday at the radio shows i don't know we don't get the money we have to have less service and if we have less service we have less riders and that could be a downward spiral i mean what do you see in your role as you know head of transit in canada yeah i mean certainly uh a, a, a spiral uh, is, is possible uh when if if budgets remain impaired if service has to be reduced and uh, we need to do everything we can uh to avoid that and so uh we're looking at uh, different ways through CUTA's recovery and rebuilding task force very similar to uh to the process that apt has undertaken as well and that's to really think about uh coming out of the pandemic how can systems be built back to be uh, greener and more efficient and provide greater mobility so some of the things that need to be um, considered is relooking at some of our long-term capital plans and really ensuring that um, travel demand patterns will return in a way that uh, you know that we were used to and if not where are people needing to get to and what are the most cost efficient ways uh, to get those people there so we what we want to do is make sure that the next uh, decade is focused on providing people more mobility options and making sure that we avoid the return uh, to a higher single occupancy vehicle use that's going to uh, congest our roads uh, raise greenhouse gas emissions associated with transportation and uh, really not I don't think follow what will the needs of household budgets be coming out of what's been a very economically uh, challenging period. They're going to want cost effective options and this is where transit has a role to play and also transit can also work to be more flexible looking at on demand, looking at electrification, uh, looking at flexible routes. So there's really uh, a bunch of things that will be um, where, where transit can really step up and be leaders in um, innovation and customer service. That's great. A great. That's a great recipe for success, I think, going forward. One of, the, uh, one of the great things that is good about Canadian transit systems is the quality of leadership that you have in so many of them. I mean, I've, uh, over the last couple of years, I've be, been able to become friends with, you know, people like Phil Verster and Kevin Desmond uh, and Eddie Robar and many others. Um, you lost one a couple of years ago who was a good friend of both of ours, Andy Byford, who went from Toronto to New York and now has gone uh, to London to be the commissioner of transportation there. 
We were honored to have him as a guest on our program on September 1st. Tell us about his role in an upcoming conference you've got going. Well, I mean, we, CUDA is trying, or we will be, uh, holding our first virtual conference. I say, I always say trying because we haven't, we haven't accomplished it yet, but, but we will. And we've got uh, a great team working on that coming up in uh, November. And uh, so that's a first for us, as I mentioned. But what's another first, too, is we're really planning on highlighting international-level keynote speakers since the, uh, the great thing about Zoom is we can bring another platform, is we can bring everyone together from anywhere they are in the world. Andy Byford, of course, uh, being, uh, after being leader of TTC and MTA, as you noted, is at Transport for London. And we're really pleased uh, that he's agreed to be um, the first keynote that we've confirmed for, for that event. So we're really excited to hear about how a big city like London uh, and, and how important their system is, especially the underground system, to hear more about how they've dealt with COVID and, how, and what their plans are uh, to, to lead uh, people back to uh, transit because ridership uh, you know, is returning, at least in, uh, in, in Canada for sure, uh, getting north of 40, almost 50% of what it was pre-pandemic, which is uh, encouraging. But again, it redoubles um, w what we need to do and, and how important that work is. And, I, and Andy Byford knows that uh, better, than, uh, better than anybody. One of the, uh, he's been uh, on my podcast twice now over the last few years, once when he was at TTC uh, and I was at MTA at the same time. And uh, I was really happy to have him when he won that big award, you know, this big award of the large public transit system of the year. Um, and uh, actually it's kind of funny, Can it, can't, Canada has had two of those recently, right? Cause you got Vancouver last year and then this one. So that's kind of great. Uh, shows the quality of the transit services there in Canada. But one of the things that was really interesting to me that Andy told me about, and we talked about it again in the most recent one, is how he curated his career and how he didn't just take what came to him, what kind of came down the river to him, but he actually planned what he wanted to do. He moved around at different agencies to get different levels of experience so that he could have a broad, you know, full resume uh, that, that is operations, you know, administration, all those kind of things. And I thought it was interesting um, as we kind of wrap up the interview here, but I, I'd like you to talk to a little bit. I, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned one word to describe yourself is motivated. This was in the interview you did for the Top 40 Under 40 uh, magazine article in Mass Transit. Tell me what you mean by that and how, how that applies to other young people who are interested in moving forward with their career. Well, yeah, certainly it was uh, an honor to uh, to be included in the list of uh, top 40 inductees in the uh, mass transit list this year. And uh, as, as you point out, uh, they do ask you to give one word to describe yourself. And uh, yes, I did choose the word uh, motivated. And I think that's something um, that, that talks not just about me, but I think many people in our industry uh, they get up every day uh, to make sure that uh, Canadians and Americans and, and commuters around the world can get to where they need to be. And, and to do that um, necessarily creates an environment where you need to be continuously improving and figuring out what are the next trends, what do commuters expect from us, and in the meanwhile, trying to also operate a business and, also, and the advocacy uh, that comes with that and supporting transit operations and really to juggle all of those things requires uh, real self-motivation, uh, some discipline, 
But what's great about our industry and, and here in transit is, is the people that we work with are just fantastic. Um, they're dedicated transportation professionals. Uh, if you look at how long people stay in our industry, I think the, uh, the average tenure is certainly uh, more than uh, most other sectors. So it's really uh, a tribute to the dedication that people have and our collective motivation and I'm happy to be to be part of it. I know the other 39 people that were also inducted are extremely motivated and I'm proud of them and I read a lot of those uh, bios and certainly uh, you know my message to people that are considering a career is that transit uh, is an exciting one. It can involve engineering, planning, uh, capital projects as well as operations. Uh, it, we're getting into an era of uh, more electric buses or other zero emission vehicles so that there's technology and manufacturing and really it's it's um it, it's somewhere where a, a young person can experience uh you know several different careers as people have changing interests and and uh, things that they'd like to accomplish in their career it's really good news to say that transit is an industry where you can really uh do all that and it's been um, my pleasure to be part of traffic and transportation uh, you know, since uh, 2003, really. So it's, uh, it's great. And um, it keeps me motivated. Excellent. Great words to close on. Thank you so much for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged. And again, congratulations on being honored as one of the top 40 under 40 individuals in the public transportation industry in North America. Okay, thank you, Paul. Thanks for being with us today on Transit Unplugged Comforts Corner. And now we bring you another interview with one of the honorees of this year's 2020 Mass Transit Magazine Top 40 Under 40. It's my friend Ivan Rodriguez, who's Director of Government and Industry Affairs and a policy advisor to Nat Ford, the CEO at Jacksonville Transit Authority, JTA, one of the leading lights in our industry. Thanks so much for being with us today on the show, Ivan. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, Ivan and I have uh, worked together on a number of projects over the years. Most recently, uh, we, we worked together on, uh, I think we set up the uh, podcast interview for your boss, Nat Ford, a while ago, and then some quotes from some speeches of his uh, that were used in some recent writings I did. So um, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you're born in Puerto Rico, and you've got quite a, quite a great background working for the House of Representatives there and all that. Maybe tell me about your background and then what you do today for JTA. Of course. Thanks, Paul. Thanks again for having me. Um, um, yeah, so I'm originally from the island of Puerto Rico, born and raised. Um, my family still resides there, even though my brother and other family members have moved to the States. Um, but I come from a very small family. Um, we've always been involved in community, um, you know, community relations, government, um, politics, that kind of stuff, even though I don't have no family members that had actually worked in government or ran before for any political um, affiliation. Um, funny enough, uh, and we were just discussing that uh, a little while ago, my families are more in the medical field. And, and so I was a little bit of the black sheep going and deciding to become an attorney because it was just my passion uh, for Puerto Rico. Um, born there, I did my, my um, grad school there, my undergrad I did as well. And after I became an, uh, a licensed attorney, I moved here to Florida and I went down to Stetson and made a um, master's in law and international law and business. And after it, instead of staying in Florida, I actually went back. 
I worked a little bit in my hometown. I wanted to do that, go back. We, it's a small town. We, we, you know, born grandparents, great grandparents, all my lineages from there. But then I got again involved in politics and that's where my career st uh, started. And I really thought I was gonna continue being an attorney even though I loved politics, but I was a law clerk for a judge. And then they pulled me to work in the health department actually helping in a, in a, in a federal project. And from there, I got again involved in, in, action, in political campaigns. And I went to work for the then elect uh, Speaker of the House. And I was there for four years. We did a range of things, but a lot of my background was I was in the, in the chambers with her as her legal and legislative advisor. I did a lot of the budget with her. Um, uh, I did transportation and other items, and I ascended through her ranks until I was the director of her, her advisory staff and basically her chief policy counsel. And after my four years stint with her, um, married, first child, we said, okay, we, we, we want to move to Florida. And that's where JTA appeared. And they had this position for a government affairs um, officer. And I moved here and I always call it interested, uh, interesting because you can imagine coming from Puerto Rico to Jacksonville, Florida, and they have this government relations. And usually those roles are for somebody that has a lot of uh, local relations. And I'm moving here from Florida. My relations are more Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C., working with the then speaker, who today she's the congresswoman for Puerto Rico. And who is that? What's her um, name? Jennifer Gonzalez. Actually, okay. she serves on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee right now. Oh, that's great. That's a good connection to have. Uh. That was, and it was my luck because uh, she became um, the congresswoman in 2016. So I was already in JTA. Um, she's wonderful, young, um, very um, policy savvy and forward looking. Um, sort of a lot like Nat Ford, which I know you yes. saw in a lot of that hearing, you know, that forward looking trend and then she just like Nat pushes you to try to excel and to your best. And that really is something that I've taken benefit here in the JTA as my role. Because when I came here, as I was mentioning, you thought that probably the role was more local. No, Nat had a grander vision. And under that vision, I found a, a, a space for what we do in the advocacy and the policy side and really pushing forward in the industry and in government. And it's, it's been so fantastic, I have to say, because it not only has honed my skills and prepared me, uh, it's great being part of the great work that we're doing here in JTA and, and, and with Nat uh, leadership. Um, so a couple of the things I do, um, as you can imagine, advocacy, grants, um, anything that's, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll help with uh, communications, um, preparing that forward and the, and, the, and the agency to go into this, our regulatory bodies in front being FTA, USDOT locally and statewide here, FDOT. Um, and then also is helping with the strategic communication and strategic planning for all these projects. Um, as, as we all know, we have our great planners, our great engineers, but you need, also need to, that concept being an attorney that I'm myself, but at the same time of advocate, giving that spin outside external review to make sure that we're meeting really what those key stakeholders, being elected officials or just public officials, really what they're looking for, what they want. That's why in my application, you one of the quotes I, I, I always said, over communication is not a sin. 
if you really relay your message over and over again, you really get them involved. And if you get, get them involved from the beginning, not just when you're either asking for the money or when you know the problem arises on the regulatory side, but you get them involved, they feel comfortable, but they also feel that they're part of the project. So they are vested that they want to see it succeed. And I find my, I find that my job is really trying to get them vested and comfortable to the project. So they also want to see it succeed. That's great. You've, uh, I don't, I don't know that a lot of people are really uh, understand that being a policy advisor, being kind of a lobbyist, so to speak, is a big part of public transportation. Um, most big, most major transit agencies have a legislative affairs office. There's so many laws written at a state level, interacting at a city level that that need to be engaged with that affect public transportation. I know when I was here at MTA, we had an office of four people uh, who were working uh, with the city government, with the state government, with the national government, and then transit agencies often have representatives in Washington D.C. They actually hire lobbying firms to represent them there. Tell us a little bit about that and why that's important. I think it's very important because at the end of the day, the, the rules, the laws that you're, you're mentioning are being approved, are being you know, exercised by your regulatory body. They have, they have the oversight and more, most importantly, let's cut to the chase, they have the power of the funds. That's they right. Hold the the gold rule. He who, makes, who has the gold makes the rules. <laughs> exactly. So if you make them feel so comfortable and you really know how to relay and, and something that's very important, it's a two way street. One of them is that you're following the rules, but also is helping them implement the rules because you will always as, as us being the implementers, you will find what is the practical way to to implement things and it, you have your customer and your ridership um, interfacing and sometimes what the rule of law says really is not that um, in tone, and we as the providers, implementers, have to make sure that that fits perfectly. And so sometimes we're also in the reverse side, we're helping them implement what they want to achieve. And if we can go back and make their job easier, that there's not a hundred hiccups, or that you're outside of the law, that makes it even better for you. One, you'll be able to succeed with your pro projects. And when you're succeeding with your projects, it makes it a whole lot easier when you're asking for funding for any type of regulatory um, relief and other items that pop up. And frankly, again, it makes it easier just for them to commit and really believe in the vision that you have, not only for public transportation, but the vision that you have for your um, local and regional services that you want to implement. That's great. And finally, can, uh, Ivan, can you tell us about one particular project you've worked on that maybe you're, you know, particularly proud of? Oh, now you're getting me in trouble. There's so many. <laughs> um, well, I have to say there's, I think I've been fortunate that um, our CEO, Nat Ford, and the leadership that he's put together, um, I've been fortunate that I have an opportunity to have a sit in the table, uh, see in the table and and work or see how a lot of these projects materialize and forward and I've been able to contribute to to a lot of them and so I, I cannot pick one but I will um, I think U2C our autonomous program is something that right now is 
real in the forefront because we're helping to write these rules. We'll help, we're, we're helping. So that's where you're seeing this office, the government affairs and the industry. It's not just making sure that you're implementing right. Now we're actually building it and creating and put, putting one step forward and saying FTA, USDOT, this is the items that we're, we're finding that we need to address. And this is how we propose to be addressed. We know that in the scheme of things, it's going to be bigger because national wide, everybody's going to have be because of geography or for other areas. It's not, it's not going to be a one size fit all, but there's been other projects um, the route optimization initiative when what that we did in 2013 to 2014 flipping that switch overnight, but that year and, and change before everything that we did even before we went external, all that was fantastic. Taking over the, the ferry and the building that I'm sitting today, our brand new regional transportation, which was on the shelves for years and years. And really, you know, when Nat4 came and we were able to launch our Y, BRT, all these projects, then we got our, our stakeholders to say, yeah, we, we want you to continue and, and grow in Jacksonville and grow in Northeast Florida. So all these projects are just fantastic, but I think it, it boils down to mobility as a service, us being mobility integrators and really setting Jacksonville and the JTA specifically as the corner store for Northeast Florida to help in economic development and be the forefront to also help in the um, developing that workforce of the future in the transportation industry. We, we, we value a lot making sure that the things that we do implement here, if, they, if they're successful and thankfully all of them have been, to make sure that we you know, push them out to the industry because, and come in and, and join us or try it out or do it because there is much more than that traditional business service um, of you know, running buses up and down. Now, there's much more that we can do and we're proving it here. And it's so exciting just to be part of that personally of that you know, forward-looking implementing projects of the JTA. Well, I know we're going to hear many more great uh, news items from JTA and you helping to implement them. Ivan Rodriguez, Director of Government and Industry Affairs and Policy Advisor at JTA. Again, congratulations on being selected as one of the top 40 under 44 industry. And thank you so much for sharing with us today some of what you do and the passion that you have for that work. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate this time and wish you the best of luck. Thanks for being with us today on Comfort's Corner, where every two weeks we bring you insightful interviews with folks who don't necessarily have to be CEOs. Our regular Transit Unplugged episodes coming up are going to be very exciting. Rod Staples is our interview for the 30th of September. He is the head of transportation for New South Wales in Australia. We finish our Australian month. And uh, we've got lots of other great interviews coming up for you for the rest of the year, including some from Africa coming up near the end of the year. It's going to be an exciting international extravaganza as you stay tuned to Transit Unplugged. Also, uh, we want to remind you that the book Public Transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and Beyond, the children's picture book, is coming out October 1st on Amazon. And uh, it's a great look inside the world of public transportation from the past, present, and future with colorful pictures and fun anecdotes and stories for kids ages five to 15. For those of you like me who are homeschooling your kids this year, whether you like it or not, under the school system or on your own, it's a great opportunity to kind of introduce them to the subject of what we do for a living. Hope you'll take a look at it this year. Public transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and beyond. 
coming up on October 1st. You can pre-order the ebook now, and it's only $2.99. And then the uh, paperback book will come out on October 1st on Amazon. Thanks so much for being with us. Hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to another great edition one week from today. 